The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone. This is Mary Woods and I am the host of One Hour at a Time. And today we have um, a really interesting topic for a lot of us. And we're going to talk about um, college-age drinking and substance abuse, misuse, and addiction with Randy Havison, who is the founder and executive director of Hero House. And Randy has been working as a counselor and university administrator since 1987. He has an MA in counseling and extensive experience working as a therapist in treatment centers, private practices, and agencies, primarily in the field of addiction. Randy has also served as a drug and alcohol counselor and coordinated substance abuse education programs on three college campuses around the country, receiving national recognition for his work with students and administrators. As well as being the founder of Hero House, Randy is also a professional speaker, traveling across the country to educate college students about alcohol and other drug use and abuse, as well as topics related to leadership and self-esteem. Uh, Randy has been in his own recovery since um, 1984. So welcome to One Hour at a Time, Randy. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, the whole topic of um, college-age drinking and substance abuse, misuse, and addiction is um, it's kind of like a minefield because we're not even sure at this point how do we diagnose misuse, um, experimenting, and addiction when you're in an environment where, you know, there's so much peer pressure to um, do more, do, do it faster, and do it more often. Mm-hmm, exactly, and that is a really good point in how to differentiate those two. I mean, we all know that misuse of alcohol is a huge problem on college campuses, and fortunately there are more and more services being put together to support students, but learning that differentiation uh, can be really tricky. And what I like to educate people on is that I would rather err on the side of caution and say, even though you might not be a true, quote, alcoholic, It would definitely be a good idea if you chose not to drink right now because there are definitely some consequences in your life that are negative and not drinking would alleviate some of those issues that you're having. Do you think we get too caught up as professionals in the label as opposed to looking at the circumstances? Um, Not really um, because there's so much abuse out there and we need to talk about it from that aspect of alcohol abuse, and there are definitely those who are crossing that line into addiction. I mean, addiction can happen to someone at any age, under any circumstance. I mean, it it can happen to anybody. So when it does truly become addiction, it's important to call it that. But again, you know, there's so much abuse and people drinking, even even those who are drinking abusively, you know, it could be actually they could be drinking alcoholically too. It's it's a very fine line between those two. 
my daughter is 25, and we, we were going around to look at colleges um, for her to attend. Of course, being um, an alcohol and drug counselor myself, my biggest question was always, well, what's your policy on alcohol use and abuse? And I was always stunned to see how little, if any, it, there was, it was almost like, you know, you crossed the line and you were out of school, and that was it. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't any progression of interventions or... Um, and sometimes it was just a wink and a nod, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and I, colleges still have a long way to go. The questions that I would ask, and if there are any parents listening who are about to send their, their child to college, the questions that I would ask are, what kind of supportive services do you have on campus for people who have alcohol problems? So find out if there's a counselor in the counseling center who's dedicated to substance abuse and find out what the credentials of that person are. You know, I went to a college one time and I was speaking there and I was talking to their staff and I said, so one of you is a substance abuse counselor, right? And this woman said, yeah, I am. I said, what, what are your qualifications for being the substance abuse counselor? And she said, I don't know, the director just asked who wanted to do it and I said, I'll do it. So find out who the substance abuse counselor is on campus. Also find out if they have a health promotion program or a health education program, and are they proactively working on the education and the prevention aspect of substance abuse. And then if you really want to get into it, ask what the budget is for the substance abuse program on campus. You know, I've worked on some campuses and was really fortunate on a couple of them to have a very nice budget to work with. And we saw a significant change in drinking behavior on campus as a result of the work that we were doing. But I talked to a lot of people and they say, you know, our, our alcohol budget for the year is $10,000. So it's ridiculous that they, have, they say they have a program, but yet they're throwing so little money at it that they can't really even make a, a dent on, on the campus. So I would take a look at what are the supportive services that are available on campus and use that as the measure of are they going to be able to support my child if they run into problems. I think that um, the other issue for going away to school, too, is that, you know, um, for a lot of kids, it's their first time away from home and mm-hmm. trying to just fit in and feel like um, you belong. And I think the use of alcohol and, uh, and other substances um, is just oftentimes just a pathway to, to peer acceptance. Exactly. But, what, again, what I usually recommend to people is when you first get to campus, find clubs and organizations that will meet your interests and hang out with people that are involved with that. You know, what we do, when we do uh, surveys on campus, what we find is that the number of people actually drinking and drinking abusively is much lower than the perception. You know, the perception is everybody drinks. Everybody smokes pot. Everybody does it. But the reality is that only 76% of students on campuses drink. So that means that one out of four students on campus don't drink. But usually what's out there in the media and what is portrayed is, you know, all the alcohol and the problems and, you know, because the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So, you know, when there's a problem on campus in regard to alcohol, it just makes it seem like everybody's doing it. But one out of four students on college campuses don't drink. So if someone does not want to be involved in that culture, it will be easy for them to find those folks by getting involved with clubs and organizations with people that that just don't get into alcohol. Um, You said 76% of the people do drink. Did you mean didn't drink? 
Students, yes. Students, right. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that. Sure. Um, yeah. what, what about um, for people who are um, involved in, like, sports? Um, mm-hmm. It seems like there's a lot of pressure, um, peer pressure, to use alcohol and, and other, like, um, performance-enhancing um, drugs or even just Jolt and Red Bull. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there is so much pressure in the athletic field. And you know, more and more we're starting to break out of the cocoon that athletics used to be in. It used to be when something would happen within an athletic department, it would stay within the athletic department. Any problem, uh, alcohol abuse, a sexual assault, anything that would happen, it would stay within the athletic department. But more and more that's becoming difficult to do. So there's more of a spotlight being put on athletes and what they're actually doing and, and the disruptive behavior that they're causing. And alcohol is at the cause of most of it. I mean, look at last year, Ben Roethlisberger uh, was at a bar in Georgia and got in trouble. You know, that never would have made the news five years ago, but now it's in the news. Uh, the, the main thing that broke that uh, barrier was years ago when the uh, head coach of the University of Cincinnati was arrested for DUI. And I remember when that story came out, and I thought, wow, finally the barrier's been broken. Because we would never hear about something like that before. But now all of a sudden, that, that barrier's been broken, and we're hearing more about what's going on within athletic departments. And I watch the pressure that these athletes are under. I speak to a lot of colleges and college athletes every year. I'm on the NCAA speaker grant list. And they talk about the tremendous pressure that they're under, and alcohol is a way to get away from that pressure. But yet a lot of them are crossing that line into abusive drinking and it's starting to affect their playtime and and their abilities. And one of the things that I say every time I speak to athletes, I'll say, how many of you know someone who had great talent in high school, but because of drinking and other drug use, they never made it to the college level? And pretty much every hand goes up in the air. So athletics and alcohol is something that's been synonymous, and I'd love to see you know, more of a... Uh, spotlight put on that to really help these kids to learn that you don't have to drink to be accepted. You can just be yourself. And, and more and more of them are doing that, but we need to make that more socially acceptable for them. Well, and I think, once again, when your whole identity is wrapped up in being able to be athletic and to be able to perform, um, that's, that's um, certainly a minefield, too, because at some point you're either not going to be able to perform at the level that, like a, like a Division One level, you may be a Division Three, you know, superstar, but Division One, you may not even make the team. And the other side of that, if you get injured, then you can't perform. And then who are you? Exactly. And their whole identity is wrapped up in being the athlete. And, and again, alcohol or other drugs can definitely take someone down um, you know, a peg people who could be D1 athletes but end up in Division Two because alcohol got in their way. Right. So, yeah, we, we have a lot of work to do on this topic. But, you know, what I really like is that more and more, like, shows like this are addressing the issue and more and more people are putting a spotlight on this. So it's really nice to see that happen because, uh, you know, that will bring us closer to working on solutions. Right, and I think one important thing, as you said earlier, is that not everybody out there is doing it. And that's one of the things with my own children and what I hear with uh, the young people that we work with at Westbridge is that, well, everybody's doing this. And being able to say, uh, no, they're not. Um, Not everyone is 
uh, using alcohol this way. Not everyone's smoking pot. Not, not everyone's drinking Jolt by the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that it's so important that parents need to understand their responsibility in this as well. And oh, absolutely. When, and when we come back from our uh, commercial break, um, maybe Randy you could talk to us a little bit about parents' responsibility in uh, college drinking. So we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dr. Michael Borders said we have each been given our own worlds to organize and cultivate. Bearing responsibility for life's fruit-bearing activity is a task that is made less difficult by creating relationships, community, and life history on purpose. Join Dr. Borders every week for Growth Process Integration, where he will help you apply this principle through your own spiritual communication. It's a journey of the heart, heart of self, heart of community, heart of the universe, and the heart of God. Tune in Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Randy Havison, who is Executive Director of Hero House. And our topic today is college-age drinking and substance use, misuse, and abuse and addiction. And we're um, talking about the role that parents have in um, helping college-age students um, not fall into some of the traps of... um, the funneling and the uh, um, you know drinking a shot for every age for every for every year that you're um, born and the pot and all the other things that sometimes happen in college and um, Randy what what role do do parents play in people either going out and experimenting or not experimenting? Parents play a huge role, bigger than they want to think they do. The examples that they set and the boundaries that they set are a huge determinant of whether someone's going to go off the deep end or not. Uh, you know, I, I think it's important to allow a college student to spread their wings and learn how to be their own person, but they still need some boundaries. Uh, you know, one of the things that I found when I worked on college campuses, 
The students who would never get in trouble with alcohol were the ones who were paying their own tuition, paying their own fees, working part-time or full-time while they were going to school, and having most of the responsibility for their education. The ones who tend to get in trouble are the ones where the parents just give them the car and the credit card and you know, check in with them maybe once a week with a phone call, hey, how's it going? But they're not really allowing the person to take responsibility for their education and what's going on. So I think parents need to have a piece of the accountability here and say, look, I will continue to fund your education as long as you're performing and getting the grades and doing what you need to do. It's, you know, for the parents, it's an investment to send their kid to school. And I'm not going to invest in something that's going to be half the time not performing up to 100%. So parents need to be more, help their child to be more accountable. And when they talk about their own college experience, you know, to let them know, not get into, oh, I remember this one time I went to this party and I got so wasted that, you know, don't glamorize it. Don't make it something that they're going to want to go out and do themselves. Instead, talk about, you know, I knew this guy who was a really nice guy, and he got out of control, and then he's no longer in college. So just be careful with this. I also encourage parents, don't lie about it. You know, if you did use or did, if you did drink when you were in college, let your child know, yes, I did experiment when I was there. But what I learned is that it, it, doesn't, ha- it doesn't define me, and I don't have to do that in order to be happy, in order to have a good time. To, and also what I suggest to parents I I tell them, you know, be honest and say, yes, I did smoke pot when I was in college, but if I knew how difficult this conversation was going to be with you right now, I never would have done it. So it's important for parents to be honest but not glamorize. It's also important for parents to obey the law. Uh, If a kid is under 21, it is illegal for them to drink alcohol, and when you drink with them, it just gives them permission to do that themselves. So if they're going to do it in one instance, they're going to do it in others as well. So it's important for parents to say, you know what, when you're 21, I have no problem. We'll go buy a bottle of wine and, and we'll toast to your birthday. But until then, I'm not going to let you drink. I don't want you drinking around me. Yeah. So those are some of the boundaries and guidelines that I usually suggest to parents. Um, one of the uh, Greek um, houses at UNH is notorious for having out-of-control um, alcohol parties and, and then the unfortunate things that happen as a result of that, whether it's um, you know domestic violence or sexual um, abuse or whatever. And You know, I I don't know how much of um, going to college for some people is joining the fraternity sorority that their parents were in and carrying on that tradition. And Mm -hmm. and do the the Greeks have, um, you know, any type of prevention or education within their, their houses? And that's a good question. And some universities do a much better job than others. At, at doing Greek education when it comes to alcohol. Um, it, the Greek environment, the fraternities and sororities tend to be the biggest hotbed on college campuses for problems uh, resulting in alcohol abuse and, and other drug abuse. And there's so much more that needs to be done in that realm. When I speak to Greek organizations, when I talk to an individual chapter, usually what I'll do is I'll, break, I'll find their creed. On, online, or I'll find it beforehand, I'll have someone give it to me, and I'll read it at the beginning, and it talks about being men of honor and being women of integrity, and, you know, it talks about those things, and I'll say, this is your creed. Last Saturday night, were you living your creed? 
or are these just words that are written on a piece of paper? And I challenged them to take a look at what are the values that the Greek system was based on. I love what the Greek system stands for and, and what it was intended to do. And I think over the years, you know, Animal House just took the Greek system into a totally different realm. And, and now people are perpetuating that myth that it's all about the parties and the drinking and the drugs and the, you know, preying on the freshmen. And, you know, we really need to take a look at that. And some colleges are doing a, a really good job at that, and some have a long way to go because a lot of administrators and a lot of people, hey, I was in a fraternity when I was in college, and, yeah, there were some people who got in trouble, but I was just fine, so they just need to toe the line and they'll be okay too. And they don't really know what's going on today. So a lot more work needs to be done with the Greek systems. And, and hopefully it'll continue to happen. And again, you know, shows like this, maybe some parents listening are going to go to their college and say, what are you doing? This fraternity here is notorious for misuse of alcohol and how many sexual assaults have, have been reported from this house this year. What is the university doing about that? And when the parents can put enough pressure on the administration, then they're going to start doing something about it. But unfortunately, a lot of administrators continue to have their head in the sand as far as how extensive this issue is, because they know if they begin to start putting a spotlight on it, it's going to be huge, and they're afraid they're not going to be able to handle it, which is just not true. They can. Have you seen any connection with um, college substance abuse and cyberbullying or bullying in general? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. You know what? I can't really answer that. Uh, I could take a guess, but the bullying part is not really my area of expertise. Um, so to comment on that, I do know that you know when people drink uh, and and become intoxicated, it's a social lubricant, and they might say or do things that they wouldn't normally do when they were sober. Um, but in terms of a correlation between cyberbullying and alcohol, I, I really I, I wouldn't feel right commenting on that because it's not my area. You know, um, when you were talking about the freshmen being hazed um, in the Greek system, you know, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that, that I hear about are the, the drinking parties and the drinking games that have developed over the last 20 years, which are certainly a lot different than when I was in school. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the, the whole idea that the faster you can get drunk, the better and um, the high rate of people ending up in the emergency room with alcohol overdose or with alcohol poisoning or, or kids getting um, left for, um, you know, they, they'll go sleep it off and then they don't wake up. Mm-hmm. And, um, it just seems to me that there just seems to be more of that or, or are we just hearing about it more because people are talking about it more? Yeah, actually, I mean, unfortunately, the number of deaths of college students in the United States, we're at about 1,700 per year, and we might hear about a handful of them, but the numbers are not increasing or decreasing. They're kind of staying around the same. So it's not that the issue is getting worse. We might be hearing about more of them, so it appears to be worse. But, I mean, when you think that 1,700 students a year die of, of alcohol or drug-related uh, purposes or reasons, you know, there are some colleges that only have 1,700 people. Imagine the entire population of that college wiped out in a year because of alcohol or other drugs. So it's a huge problem, but I don't think, you know, it's not getting worse, it's not getting better. 
Um, there's just more attention being paid to that. But no one intends to kill their friend or to kill themselves the night of, hey, let's just have him do 21 shots on his 21st birthday. It, it's ridiculous that people would do that. I mean, these are supposed to be intelligent people who are in college. And with the education that we have out there about alcohol, to actually engage in that behavior today just to me is, is completely ridiculous. So if, if let's say, um, kids are out there partying, they're underage, they're partying, and somebody gets really um, intoxicated, what should the kids do or the college students do um, to help that intoxicated person? 911 is when in doubt, 911. You would rather have the person go to the hospital and have the hospital personnel say, he's okay, he's just too drunk, rather than let's just let him sleep it off and then the person ends up dying. So I'm always an advocate for erring on the side of caution and always call for help. But a lot of people, oh, I don't want to get in trouble. Well, the trouble you're going to get in if the person dies or goes into a coma is going to be a lot worse than I can't believe you let him get that drunk. So I always suggest calling for help. And there, the myth about sobering somebody up with coffee oh, no. and a cold shower Oh, bad ideas. Number one, you're putting someone in a shower, which is usually slippery, and they're already intoxicated. Um, it does not wake them up if they're intoxicated. Do not put the person in the shower. That's even more dangerous. Coffee doesn't work either uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, caffeine does not counteract the effects of alcohol. So all you're going to really get is a wide-awake drunk rather than someone who's going to be sleeping. And another thing that tends to happen, people who are drinking alcohol and who are that intoxicated tend to drink very quickly. So if you put a beverage in their hand, they're going to want to drink it really quickly. And if it's hot coffee, they could actually do damage to their esophagus if they drink it too fast. And because they're drunk, they're not going to realize that it's hot until it's too late. So very dangerous to give a hot beverage to someone who's intoxicated. Not a good idea at all. And we'll be right back after this next commercial to talk more about um, college-age substance abuse. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Your life. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and our guest is Randy Havison, who is the Executive Director of Hero House, and we're talking about college-age drinking and substance abuse, misuse, and addiction. Um, Randy, for folks who are listening to us, um, what are the signs or symptoms um, for a college-age person that they should begin to think like, oh, maybe um, I'm starting to get into trouble? Yeah, one of the main things is has the person lost the ability to control how much or how often they drink? So one of the things that I, I challenge people to do, when I do my alcohol education program, I have a program called Party with a Plan, where I talk about how to use alcohol in a safe way. It's, it's a harm reduction program that teaches low-risk guidelines. So what I tell people, it's a zero, one, two, three program. Sometimes zero is your best option. You know, listen to that little voice inside that says, not today. Tonight's a bad idea. I have to drive. I have a test tomorrow. I haven't eaten. I've been sick. There are many reasons why zero is your best option. But if a person is going to drink, my guidelines that I use are no more than one drink per hour, uh, don't drink more than two times per week, and no more than three drinks any time you go out, with a drink defined as a 12-ounce beer, uh, a 5-ounce glass of wine, or a 1-ounce shot in a mixed drink. That's defined as a drink. So what I do is I say, do you have the ability to control how much and how often you drink? So for the next month, do the zero, one, two, three. And for a lot of people, for most people out there, they're like, okay, fine, I'll do the zero, one, two, three, and they're able to do it. They're able to stop after three. They're able to keep it to two times a week. Uh, they're, e- they're able to keep it to one drink per hour. But those who are having problems with alcohol are going to find themselves, they're having a really tough time staying to three. Three is just getting them started. You know, they've already started to develop a tolerance, which is another one of the signs and symptoms that it takes more of the drug or the drink to get them the same effect. So where it used to be two drunks would get them woozy, now it's three or four drinks, now it's six drinks that gives them a buzz. So when they've developed a tolerance, stopping at three is usually very difficult to do, as well as two times a week. You know, when someone's social life is so wrapped up in alcohol, that's when you can start building alcohol dependence, where you think that the only time I can have fun is when I'm drinking. It's, it's also uh, developing what's called state-dependent learning that we think we can only do things under a certain state. That's why when people say, you know, this myth that used to go around, if I'm smoking pot when I'm studying, then I have to smoke pot when I take the test, which is completely ridiculous and and an urban myth. So state-dependent learning says when I drink, uh, the only time I can dance is when I drink. The only way I can talk to girls or talk to guys is when I've been drinking. So they're not going to be able to stick to two times a week because state-dependent learning and, and their socialization has said that I need this in order to be okay. So then they become dependent on the drug in order to get a certain effect. And that starts to build a problem. 
And the number one problem is when it's starting to affect their life in negative ways and they don't do anything to correct it. You know, they miss a class because they're hungover or they blow a test because they were drinking the night before and they don't take a look at, wow, that was because of the alcohol, and then they pull back and they stop. They just continue. And maybe they'll take later classes in the day so that they can sleep longer because they're going to be drinking four or five times a week. So when people start to uh, define their life by their drinking and start to make changes in their life to accommodate their drinking, that's a definite sign that there's a problem going on. Are there any um, self-tests that people can do to see if, you know, if they answer so many questions, they, they should go look for help? Oh, absolutely. Uh, actually, Alcoholics Anonymous has a test. It's 20 questions that people can ask themselves to see if they have a problem or not. Uh, so they can go online to, I think it's aa.org. Um, another thing, I have I've de- kind of redefined those questions for college students. So if anyone wants to send me an email, I'm more than happy to send them the 20 questions for college students, um, and, and then they can take that test. But, yeah, it's really difficult. You know, you brought up the point at the beginning of the show, is there a difference between someone who's just abusing alcohol now and is it really an addiction issue? And it is difficult to tell, but the one thing that I, I will say is that if alcohol is having negative effects in your life and you're noticing that there are some things going on that if you weren't drinking or using drugs, those problems would alleviate themselves, it's a good idea to not drink. And then if you're not able to stop, that's a definite sign that there's a problem there. Um, well, what's the most effective treatment for uh, college-age folks? Well, you know, it, it really varies depending on the person. Some people do well just by going to 12-step meetings. Some people do really well just going to counseling. Some people need an outpatient program, an, an uh, intensive outpatient. Some people need full treatment, a 30-day or 90-day treatment program, and other people need sober living and long-term uh, recovery housing or sober living housing in order to learn how to get back on their feet. So it's such an individual thing that, you know, that's why I usually suggest going to a professional to find out uh, how to get the appropriate help depending on what the situation is. And it's really important for people to understand that a professional is somebody who has a certification mm-hmm. or a license in addiction counseling. Exactly. That really helps. Uh-huh. Yeah, just having a master's degree in counseling does not give someone uh, the authority to be able to diagnose and, and help someone out. So make sure that they do know addiction. In terms of, uh, you know, if, once somebody thinks like, wow, you know, this is a problem for me, I need to get some help, how do they reenter those situations where, whether it's Greek life or at the athletic department or just, you know, the, the mixers that they have on campus where they're, you know, there's a, a cake of beer or whatever, how do they go back and manage all that peer pressure? Yeah, that's one of the toughest parts is helping someone reintegrate back to campus. I've never seen someone who's involved with the Greek system get sober and then go back to the Greek system. It's it's just too dysfunctional for someone who's in recovery. So that doesn't work well at all. But one of the things that we do at the Hero House is that we're helping people 
Um, you know, the Hero House is a sober living community, a recovery house for students who've been through treatment and they want to go back to college but need a safe and sober environment to live in to learn how to balance their recovery and their education. So when a student comes to us and they check in, they're living in our house for nine months to a year, and we're teaching them how to go back to campus and interact in those environments and be able to come back to the safe environment of our house and process what was that like for you. So a lot of our students uh, at the Hero House have been exposed to alcohol or, or, you know, one guy was talking about he was hanging out having a cigarette in between classes and these guys were smoking a joint and they said, here, you want some? And I said, no. So they're exposed to all this and they can learn that, wow, I can be in that environment and not have to participate in that. And one of the biggest things that we're doing and one of the biggest things for uh, students who go back to campus uh, sober is to alter their definition of what a normal college experience is. I find that that's one of the biggest things that we do at the Hero House is helping them redefine what normal is, helping them redefine what the college experience is. Because for them, it used to be all about drinking and using and parties and boys and girls and all the things that they were involved in, but to help them to redefine that college is about academics and setting up a foundation for your success later in your life, building the skills you need that you're going to use later in your life. So those are the things that we have to teach them, and it's very difficult for people to go back to campus after they've been through treatment or after they've had some type of um, ordeal in, in that involved alcohol or drugs. It's difficult to step back into that, so that's why we developed Hero House to help these students. And more and more campuses are putting programs together that are supporting students in recovery, and it's so nice to see that happen. You know, there are a number of colleges like Augsburg up in Minnesota and Rutgers in, in uh, uh, New Jersey that have programs where students can live in a dorm for students in recovery. So it's almost like they're creating a sober fraternity on campus, and these students are doing really, really well in those programs. Well, I think it's also um, uh, important that some colleges also have um, self-help meetings right on campus as well. Mm -hmm. They do, yeah, and a lot more are doing that. And I get calls and emails from colleges all the time saying, I want to set up an AA meeting on campus, what do I do? So I'll give them suggestions on how to make that happen. But the more support you can give for these students, and what I like to say also, and this is something that I used to do at the colleges where I worked, is this, I would set up a 12-step meeting, and students would come to that meeting, and then I'd say, hey, after the meeting, I'd say, would you like to be involved as a peer educator and help to do educational programs for other students? And usually they were very excited about being involved on the positive side of that. So if you can get some your recovering students involved in your prevention efforts, uh, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Everybody wins on that one. So more and more schools are putting meetings together and supportive services and groups for students in recovery and programs for students in recovery. You know, in our Atlanta Hero House program, we go, uh, we use Kennesaw State University as our primary four-year university. And what we really like about KSU is that they have a program on campus for students in recovery where they apply to be a part of it, and they go to a meeting once a week on campus where they talk about their recovery and supporting each other, and it's just a really great environment there. What about the parents of these kids? Um, are there outreach to them as well to help them help reintegrate? Uh, we do that a lot at the Hero House. I mean, we have a very strong family component 
Uh, once a quarter, we bring all the families in for a family weekend, and we talk about boundaries, and we talk about communication, and we talk about just because he or she is sober now, it's probably going to take you know, six months to a year to overcome some of those old behaviors and become that person that they used to be. So we do a lot of educating of parents. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the parents need more help than the kid does. And, you know, I, I had to do an intervention on a parent one time who was very disruptive during one of our parent meetings, and I had to basically intervene on this person. So uh, we do a lot of educating of the parents, and they need to be a part of the recovery process. They can't just say, here, you guys fix it. It, it has to be a, a family effort. And we'll be right back after our last commercial for um, our last segment with Randy Haverson, the Executive Director of Hero Hub. Steps to a Healthier You. Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Do you know if kidney disease is affecting you? Are your kidneys healthy? You may have kidney disease and not even be aware of it. 26 million people have been affected by kidney disease. Teenagers today are being diagnosed with symptoms such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. These conditions can worsen kidney health and cause kidney disease. Be sure to tune in to improve your kidney health with your host, Dr. Rich Snyder, every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The information you get on this program could help save your life. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, This is Mary Woods, and our show today is about um, college-age drinking and substance use, misuse, and addiction. And our guest is Randy Havison, who is the executive director of Hero House. And, Randy, um, we were talking a little bit about um, signs and symptoms of uh, substance misuse or addiction for folks. And um, we were talking a little bit about self-help, but what are some of the other solutions for um, for this ec- epidemic? Yeah, there are a lot of solutions out there. You know, for students who have not yet crossed the line into addiction and just want to do something different, I would investigate where on campus is the health education or the health promotion department. You know, I would get a lot of people come into my peer education program when I worked on college campuses, and I would have them do a paper, why do you want to get involved with the peer education program? 
And a lot of them would write, I knew when I came to college I could either get involved with the party scene or I could do something positive and healthy. So I want to be a peer educator because I want to do something positive and healthy. So it was really cool to watch them do that. So for students who are kind of teetering and they're looking for a good positive environment, go to your health education department or your health promotion department and see how you can get involved. For those who've had trouble with alcohol, I suggest going to your counseling center or talking to a local treatment center saying, you know, I don't think I need treatment right now, but I want to talk to a counselor who around here specializes in addiction. Uh, and then go and talk to that person to make sure you don't actually cross that line into addictive behaviors. For those who are addicted and need help, uh, there are a lot of really good treatment programs around the country that specialize in working with college students, and I would seek them out. Um, you know, I know on the East Coast, uh, Four Circles Recovery Center in North Carolina does an amazing job working with young adults. Uh, Cumberland Heights in Nashville does a great job. Hazleton is one of the leaders in, in young adult treatment as well as treatment for older adults. Karen Foundation up in Philadelphia. I mean, there are a number of treatment programs out there. Now, when it comes to recovery programs, uh, there are a lot of programs out there on college campuses, and, and uh, to find those programs, uh, there's a group called the Association of Recovery Schools. I think it's recoveryschools.org. That's their website, and you can find colleges. And actually, there are some sober high schools as well that are a part of ARS. So if people want to know more about those programs, they're out there. Now, the reason why I developed Hero House is because while Augsburg and Rutgers and Kennesaw State and Texas Tech, while they have programs for students in recovery, you know, if you want to be in their program, you have to go to Rutgers or you have to go to Augsburg. But what about the student who's at University of Minnesota, needs a, a sober environment, they can't go into the Augsburg program. So I started the Hero House, and actually we're the higher education recovery option, because our students can choose which college they want to attend. In our Atlanta program, you know, we have uh, students who are going to a two-year college, some who are going to four-year, some who are going to art colleges, some who want to do culinary. So what we do is we help them find their passion and find their way and then help them integrate back into a college setting while being in a, a sober environment. And here in California, they go to UC Irvine, they go to which, and UC Irvine has an AA meeting on campus uh, five days a week. Uh, we use Orange Coast College. We use the Art Institute. So there are a lot of colleges in this area, too, and our students can pick and choose which school they want to belong to, and we're helping them to reintegrate back into that uh, environment while also going to 12-step meetings, and some of them are in counseling, and some of them are dual diagnosis, and we're helping them with depression or anxiety or whatever uh, the secondary disorder is. But more and more programs are coming out to help students go back to college and be successful. So I, I'm, I feel very uh, fortunate and very grateful that I get to be uh, starting out you know, with this program and helping these students. And, and we're watching them do exceedingly well. At the Hero House, our typical GPA any given semester is 3.2 to 3.5. So these are students that were flunking out of college, and I get calls from parents saying, he's a bright kid, but he's just on the wrong path. And I say, well, you know what, let's, get it. let's help him maintain his sobriety and give him the skills that he needs to go back and be successful. So we do time management, we do study skills, and we teach them those things that they need to be academically successful. Sit in the front of the room rather than the back of the room. Talk to the professor on the first day of class. Introduce yourself. Be a partner with that person in your education. And we're finding that 
that our students are doing 3.2 to 3.5. So they are succeeding, and they can go back to school and be successful. You know, I talked to someone one time when I was starting Hero House, and she worked at a treatment center. And I said, you know, we're doing this program for students in recovery. She said, you know, we tell students, don't even bother going back to college until you have a year of sobriety. And I thought, what? why would you have to wait a year to go back to school? If put in the right environment, you will be able to go right back and be successful. I went back to college when I had 66 days sober, and it was really hard to go back, but I did struggle through, and I got my bachelor's and went on to get my master's. So I want to show these young men and women that we're working with how to overcome those barriers and obstacles and how to be successful. And they are, and, and it's really great to watch. You know, we just did we just celebrated our five-year anniversary. So we look back on all the people who've graduated the Hero House, and we wanted to see how many of them were still sober. And what we found is that 80% of Hero House graduates are sober today. So very proud of the work that we're doing and how we're helping these kids get back on track. And, you know, hopefully at some point in the future, right now we have two locations. I'd love to have a dozen locations around the country. I'd like to have a Hero House in every major college town in the country because there are students out there who are suffering from addiction that need the support to go back and a lot of them feel very alone and I want them to know that they're not alone that there are a lot of programs out there and a lot of organizations that are there to help them that they can plug into in order to support their success. Um, Those are great outcomes Randy and I think the nice thing about it is is that somebody then has the identity of being a college student and not uh, an addict, you know, so that um, that whole year, take a year before you go back to school, it just reinforces the dependent learning, if you will, about I'm, you know, I'm sick, there's something wrong with me, as opposed to these are my strengths and um, I can overcome this and treat this. Exactly. And that's why we we refer to the people who stay at the Hero House, they're our students. Because that's their identity. We don't call them our patients. We don't call them our clients. Uh, Sometimes I'll call them a resident, but most of the time we call them our students because that's what we want them to be. And, you know, I'm a believer, you know, I'm coming up on 27 years sober, and what I've learned is that my identity is so much greater than, hi, I'm Randy, I'm an addict and an alcoholic. It's so much more than that. And I want to teach these kids, kids, these young adults, that... They are so much more than one thing, that that was a barrier and an obstacle and it's something that they're going to have to live with for the rest of their life. But they can overcome this and become so much more with their life. And they don't have to be defined by it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I tell them all the time, you know, we just moved here to California a year ago. Probably three-quarters of my neighbors don't even know I'm in recovery. It just doesn't come up. They know me as Randy the business owner, Randy the neighbor, Randy the husband, Randy the father. So that's how they know me. My, my reality isn't I'm Randy and I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict. So what I want to teach them is that there is so much more to what they are. And a big part of what we do at the Hero House is based on self-esteem and raising their self-esteem because that's one thing that really seems to be lacking. You know, we talk a lot about ego in our Uh, society, but we don't really do a lot to foster a sense of self-esteem. And my viewpoint is that if we raise a person's self-esteem, then they're not going to want to drink anymore. They're not going to want to use drugs. I don't know anyone with high self-esteem. You know, you put a joint in front of someone with high self-esteem, they're like, why do I want to do that to myself? 
I like me for who I am and where I'm at. I don't need to alter me in order to be happy or in order to feel different. I like how I am right now. So a lot of what we do is helping them to build their confidence and build their esteem so that their chance at succeeding in their recovery and succeeding in college is a lot greater. Randy, um, you had mentioned earlier that if people could contact you if they wanted to get the revised version of the 20 questions, um, how can people contact you? Sure. Our uh, web address is herohouse.com, H-E-R-O-H-O-U-S-E. And real simple, I'm Randy at herohouse.com, and that's Randy with a Y. So if people write to Randy at herohouse.com or if they forget that, if you write to info at herohouse.com, that gets to me as well. So that's the best way to get in touch with me, and I'm more than happy to answer any questions. If people want to know where different programs are, uh, more than happy to point them in the right direction. You know, the way I look at it, my life is a gift. I should have been dead a thousand times. So if I'm here, then I must be here to serve some type of purpose. So if I can be of service to somebody, all they have to do is ask. Are you speaking anywhere in the near future? Um, yeah, I have a few on the books. Um, I'm keynoting a conference down in San Diego uh, in a couple of weeks. Actually, it'll be a week after, it'll be next week on uh, February 13th. I'm, I'm keynoting down in San Diego. Uh, and then where do I, I have a couple more. I don't know. It's on my calendar in the other room. I didn't want to be distracted sitting in front of my computer while I'm doing the interview. Um, but, yeah, I, I still speak every now and then. I love speaking to high school groups. I speak to college groups. I love speaking to parents. Um, always available to come out and, and speak to different groups. So if I can be of service doing that, too, definitely I'm, I'm up for that. So you mentioned that you're a, you're a dad. What are you telling your kids? What I'm, well, my daughter's five. So what I'm doing at this point is I'm teaching her good boundaries. I'm teaching her about self-respect and self-esteem. I'm teaching her that just because you did something that I'm not happy with, I still love you. I just don't like what you did. And teaching her those differentiations and helping her to be a strong, independent little girl. And, ooh, is she an independent little girl? And later on, yes, I will tell her that I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic and that she needs to be careful because there is a genetic predisposition to addiction and that she needs to be extra careful. But I'm hoping that I'm going to raise a child with high enough self-esteem that when she's put in those positions, she's going to think, why would I want to do that to myself? And I'm going to be very clear. If you choose to drink, that's your choice. But just know that you're not going to get a car and you're not going to get your license until I know that you're not going to be drinking and driving. So there are going to be rewards for positive behavior uh, rather than just punishing bad behavior. Right. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. And um, for everybody who's out there listening, um, if, you have, if you're in college or you have a college-age person that you care about, just remember that everybody isn't out there drinking and drugging and getting wasted every night, mm-hmm. that the majority of folks are out there trying to work hard on their education. But if, you, um, if you're looking for help, uh, there's the places that Randy talked about. There's also your local um, phone book. Look up um, AA or um, addiction counseling professionals are available. And once again, Hero House, it, their website is www.herohouse.com. And Randy, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. This oh. was fun. Yeah, it was great, and uh, there certainly is a need to talk about this and uh, get some of the myths uh, clarified. So have a great week, everyone, and um, 
I hope for those of you in the Northeast that we're done with the snow for a while, and those of you who are in sunny California, enjoy it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I won't even tell you what it's like out here today. Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Have a yeah. good week, everybody. <laughs> appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.